my name is Robert Crest, Brother Robert Crest. I was um, born in the Dominican Republic, and my family moved to the United States when I was 16 years old. That was in 1999, and we moved to New York City. Um, and I joined the brothers at the Capuchin Franciscan Friars uh, in 2001, so basically two years after we came to the United States. And I have been with the brothers uh, ever since. And um, eventually, I chose to become a priest, and I was ordained a priest in the year 2000, 2015. I became a priest, and I, um, after I was ordained a priest, I was sent uh, to North Carolina, and I was working there mainly with immigrants, Mexican immigrants in the mountains. And eventually, I was sent uh, to Florida, and then during the pandemic, I was asked uh, to come to Atlanta to open a new house for the brothers. And when we came to Atlanta, we were looking for ministry to do. Um, so we decided that we wanted to work with the homeless, especially in particular, working with them. And part of our ministry is also on weekends, we go to different churches uh, to help out with um, confessions and the celebration of the Eucharist. So that's basically what we do. But most of our times we spend with the homeless in the city, especially downtown around the capital area. And we go to them and we bring them something to eat. So in order to do this work, um, the brothers thought that it would be good to start a new ministry. So we are in the process of establishing San Damiano Ministries. The purpose of this ministry will be to accompany the homeless. And what we do for them, basically we give them corporate sustenance, we provide food for them, we make, we make a small bag and we take it to them. But most importantly, what we do is the spiritual sustenance, basically, if we spend time with them, some of them want to pray. So when they ask us to pray with them, we pray, stop for a little while and pray with them. And we get to know them by name. And I think that's, uh, that's the most beautiful thing that we do with, with the homeless in the city, is to get, know, to get to know them by name, and to get to know a little bit, a little bit about their story and where they come from. And, and at times they are willing to build a little bit of trust they're willing to tell us the reason why they are homeless. What are those reasons that keep them living on the streets of the city? Um, so that's uh, that's what we do, and that's the mission of our ministry, basically to accompany the homeless. Um, and today, I was asked to speak about uh, the corporal and spiritual work of mercy, and how do they help us to become saints? And um, the foundations of becoming saints, I believe uh, that all of us were created to be saints. Uh, all of us are called to spend eternity with God. And in order to be able to spend eternity with God, we had to work every day in this process of becoming saints. Um, and when I was younger, uh, when I read about sainthood and holiness of life, I always thought that it was impossible. It was an impossible task. I recognize myself as a human, as a weak human, and somebody who's, who has a tremendous tendency to sin and who falls often. And when I used to hear the gospel, I felt that uh, the teaching of the gospel is so beautiful, especially when you hear uh, someone on the mountains and you the Beatitudes, and you think, how am I able to live this out every day? Uh, but what helped me was uh, when I met uh, St. Francis of Assisi, who's the founder of, uh, of the Capuchins, or the Franciscan family. Uh, when I saw Francis, and I saw uh, his life, and I studied a little bit about him, and got to know him, and in a sense became friend with him, he became like a companion to me. I was able to see that Francis was a man just like anybody else. 
Abel was a man and that one day, although he wanted to be a knight, and he was he had this great desire to become wealthy and to become part of the nobility during his time, eventually he had an encounter with God. And Jesus spoke to him from a cross and basically said, Francis, I want you to rebuild my church. Francis, being a very practical man, he looked around and the chapel that he was praying it was a chapel that was falling apart. So he literally interpreted uh, Jesus' message, oh, I guess he want me to rebuild this chapel. So he went about doing that work. Uh, but what Jesus was asking Francis was to rebuild the church. And eventually Francis got the point. And although he never had the intention to begin an order or to begin the Franciscan family, uh, that was where, what the Lord led him to do little by little. And he was willing uh, to do whatever God was asking of him. And then he began the Franciscan family or the Franciscan movement as some people would like to call it. Um, but then, in the year 2000, I had the opportunity uh, to go to Rome for World Youth Day. Uh, John Paul II invited all the young people from the world to come to Rome for the great jubilee that he wanted to be with us. And it was only that time uh, that John Paul II, now St. John Paul II, said to us, young people of every continent, do not be afraid uh, to be the saints of the new millennium. Be contemplative, uh, love prayer, be coherent with your faith and generous in the service of your brothers and sisters. Be active members of the church and builders of peace. And then he said to succeed in this demanding project of life. Continue to listen to his word and draw strength from the sacrament, especially the Eucharist and penance. The Lord wants you to be intrepid apostles of the gospel and builders of a new humanity. So for me, I remember when I came back uh, to my parish, as we had to get up in church on Sunday and we had to speak about uh, what was the most important moment for you uh, when you were in Rome. And I was wondering, like, I was thinking, like, most of my friends were speaking about this beautiful church that they saw, these beautiful relics that they saw. But like for me, this was what touched me the most. It was listening to the Pope and this invitation to become sane to become the saints of the millennium, and that, that was our, our task. And from then, I learned that how do I become a saint? How do I do this? How do I, how do I go about this project? I think the most important thing to begin with is to have the desire to become a saint. I want to be a saint, and that should be our mission. I want to become a saint because one day I want to see God face to face. And nothing matters at the end of the day. If the day I die, I don't get to go to heaven and see God face to face. All my success in this world, all the money that I could that I could get, if I don't become a saint, what does it matter? So I think that is the challenge for all of us, uh, to be willing uh, to become saints. And how do we do it? Uh, Jesus tells us. Uh, Jesus tells us, he challenges us in the Gospel of Luke, when he says to us, be merciful even as your Father in heaven is merciful. Be merciful like your Heavenly Father is merciful. I think that's how we consent. If we are willing uh, to become, to be merciful to others. And how do we become merciful? I think first and foremost, uh, we need to experience God's mercy in our own life. We have to come to taste the sweetness of His mercy. And all of us experience this every time we go to confession. God is merciful to us. Uh, Jesus is willing to forgive us our sins. It doesn't matter what we have done. And then he says, I forgive you. 
and then we go in peace. And then, after we receive that mercy, then the challenge for us is to go out there and to share that mercy with others and to be willing to enter into their suffering. I love the word mercy, especially in the Latin, in Spanish. My mother tongue, it is, it is, it is translated as misericordia. Uh, misericordia, uh, the, the Latin roots of the word miserere means misery, and cordia means heart. Uh, so basically, to be merciful uh, is to be willing to enter into the suffering of the other person, uh, to enter into their misery with our whole heart. And that's what Jesus asks of us. Are you willing to enter into the suffering of this person in front of you with your, with your whole heart? And it is not only an invitation that Jesus gives to us, he gives us an example. And how is Jesus merciful to us? The first movement that, God, that Jesus is merciful to us was when he was willing to become a man. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, at that point Jesus descended from the realm of heaven. The one through whom all things were created becomes a mere man. And that's how he whispered his mercy. Jesus becomes a man. He entered into our own misery as human. And he entered into that misery with his whole heart. He experiences everything that we experience for sin. And that's how he shows us his mercy. And that is the challenge for us. That are we willing to enter into this person that is in front of me, into their misery, into their discomfort? The mercy is not something that we do from time to time. We're supposed to be merciful all the time. Mercy is supposed to permeate our entire day. Everything that I do should be guided by this mercy. Um, the work of mercy is a charitable action that we do to aid the spiritual needs or the corporal or the bodily needs of the person in front of us. And what is the mission of the church? I think that the mission of the church is to share with humanity the mercy that the church has received from Christ. That is the main mission of the church. Pope Francis often speak about a church that is merciful, a church that is willing to enter into the suffering of humanity, a church that doesn't stand just as a judge to judge others, but is willing to see that this person is suffering and we want to help them. And one of his, one of his quotes about the church, he says that the church is like a big tent in a battlefield, that when the person comes, you are not worried about that the person has diabetes, but you just worry that this person is bleeding. And then the diabetes is something that you will take care of later. And at times, that's what we are called to do as a church. It is not about dealing with the, the big things, but it's about dealing with the, the person right in front of you. And that's our, our call. Yeah, but today, in today, how the church help us uh, to leave this call to be merciful? And I think uh, the church calls us through the corporal work of mercy and the spiritual work of mercy. And that's how we continue to share in the mission of Jesus. Uh, and that's why, like, anybody could do, do mercy. Anybody could do, like, social work, in a sense, as a profession. I'm not trying to offend anybody who's a social worker here. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, like, for us as a church, like, what we do is not social work. Uh, social work could be done, anybody could do it. And it is a vocation to do it. Uh, but we do it, uh, we do social work, we do corporate work of mercy, and spiritual work of mercy, 
because we want to participate in Jesus' mission. And the church teaches that every time we go out and take care of somebody who's in need, we do it because we want to follow Jesus, because this is what Jesus had done. And that is the reason why we do it. And that's the main motivation for us. It is a participation in Christ's own action in the world. And, and it's very it's simple. Like in the Gospel, he says, he says to us in the Gospel of Matthew, he says to us, whatsoever you do for the least of my brother, you do for me. And at least for me, that's what changed everything that I do. That it doesn't matter what I'm doing. It doesn't matter whether it's something very big or something, or something very small. I do it because I love him. And Jesus is the motivation to do this. And there is a beautiful story about Mother Teresa. And I think there was a reporter that was following her. And all of a sudden, I think it was in the house for the dying in Calcutta, where she was taking all these men who had a very infected wound. And this wound was filled with maggots. And this reporter said to her, he said, I would, I would never do this, not even for a million dollars. And Mother Teresa turned around and said, neither would I. I wouldn't do it either for a million dollars, but I do it because I'm able to discern Christ in this person. Um, most likely, I'm going to go through them, but most likely you are already familiar with the with the work, of, the corporate work of mercy. And the first one is to feed the hungry. Uh, the second one is to get uh, to get drink to the thirsty, uh, to clothe the naked, uh, to visit the prison, uh, to shelter the homeless, uh, to visit the sick and to bury the dead. And these are the corporal work of mercy. And why do we take care of the corporal needs of our brothers and sisters? Uh, because we see the body as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the body is destined, destined for eternal life. And um, because the, the people, many times, the first thing that you need to do for someone is to take care of their, their bodily needs, their corporal needs. If I go and speak to somebody about Jesus, who's hungry, uh, I don't think he's going to be listening too much to me. But if I'm willing to, to take care of their corporal work of mercy uh, or, or their bodily needs, uh, then I'm able, most likely I'll be able to engage them. And when I was younger, I was, uh, when I was in seminary, uh, part of the formation was that I needed to, I needed to have a ministry, uh, go to school during the week, but there was one day of the week that I had to do work. And I was offered ministry to work in a group home that we had that we have for many women living with HIV AIDS homeless men and women that we took from the street and to and that we used to take that and the position that I was offered was to become the pastoral care person at this house we had 16 residents living with us and after a little bit I noticed that it was beautiful to speak about Jesus it was beautiful to be with them but I noticed that the best time that people would open up to me, and it was when I was assisting in the emergency aid and take care of them. That was a, in those vulnerable moments when they had a need, when they needed somebody to help them. When I was able to be with them, and that was the time that they would speak about the deepest struggle of their life. And because of that, I chose to go and get a son certification to be able to do that kind of work. So at the same time, I was able to do both work, the pastoral care, that is more, it's more like a spiritual work, uh, but then also taking care of their, of those, of those needs for them, physical needs, it was what helped them. Um, and the question for us is like, how do we feed the hungry? It is not something difficult, 
It is not that we had to run a soup kitchen or that I had to go to a soup kitchen. Especially living in this city, the city of Atlanta, there is so many homeless people. And at times, it's just even willing to share a granola bar that you have in your car. But the, the difficulty that we find so often uh, is that we, we do not treat them as human. And how often do we drive through a stoplight and we're sitting there and somebody asking for help? And what do we usually do? I do, often. I look the other way because I do not want to engage that person. And it was, uh, when I was reading an article once about homelessness, uh, there was this guy that had a sign that said, I am human too. In a time that's all that they're looking for. Uh, that we are willing to acknowledge their, their, their humanity, you know? There was another sign that said, I am looking for some human kindness. And I think for us as followers of Jesus, if we are able to recognize Jesus in this person, if we take to heart what he says in the Gospel of Matthew, that whatsoever you do to the least of my brother, you do unto me, and then I'm able to see that this person in front of me is not just a person, but that this person was also creating God's image and likeness. And if Jesus was in that situation, would I go by without doing anything for him? Or would I stop to take care of him? I would like to think that if it was Jesus who stopped and take care of him. And the same thing that we need to do for, for the homeless, to feed them, to give them a glass of water. Especially in the summer, like when we go out in ministry, uh, at times, they don't want our food. <laughs> what they want is the bottle of water. And they will say, could you give me an extra bottle of water? And water is something that is very cheap. It's something that we could keep in our cars and that we could share. We then, even on, on the street, as we said, then uh, at the light, or even if we take uh, Martha, we could always give them something. Uh, another work of mercy is to is to visit the imprisoned. Uh, and the church has a beautiful ministry of ministry to to those who are imprisoned and anybody if you go through the process you be, could become someone that could go into different jails and prison and and take care of them and at times you don't go there to to change to change their situation or to but at times they just need somebody to to speak with or somebody that care for them or somebody that pray for them or someone that is willing to write a letter to them so that's another thing that we could do a shelter uh, to shelter the homeless in the city there are many different shelters that are always looking for someone to volunteer or for someone just to come and to bring a meal for them and so there is something that we could always do uh, to visit the sick uh, at times we we know so many people who are sick especially in this country um, there is so many elderly people uh, that live alone and sometimes this person will play next to us in our, in our own apartment building, in our home. Um, these grand, grandparents, at times, they don't have no one to visit them, and no one to speak to them. And so often, we ignore, ignore them because we think that they don't have much to share with us. They are different for us, they are different generation. They don't understand us. But as Pope Francis often say, that we need to pay attention to our grandparents because they have so much to share with us, and they have, they have wisdom. Uh, they may be, they, 
don't have a lot of technology knowledge, <laughs> but they may have an iPhone, but they don't know how to use it. But, but they have so much wisdom to share about life because they have life experience in a time just as internet. I, I remember my grandma died in 1997. In a time, many of the in different situation during my life and throughout the day, I think I think about little saying that she will have, little phrases that she will say. It was, and there are just full wisdom, uh, like how to deal with different situations throughout the day. You know? And like just thinking of those little words that she would say to us. And the reason I know it was because she lived in our home and she would sit there, especially as she was aging, and she would just share like little saying with us and, and those things had helped me. Um, and the final work, or corporate work of mercy is to bury the dead. And in ages past, uh, that was simple. It was like you help bury people. Well, this time we don't, we don't do those things. There are people that take care of that, of that, of burying the dead. Uh, but it's uh, going to funerals awake uh, and praying for those who have died. And at times it's uh, treating cemetery with respect and saying a prayer when we go by a cemetery uh, for that person who had died. And those are the and the basis of the corporate work of mercy is Matthew 25, and is the last judgment, and that's where Jesus says that, that where he's going to put the sheep to his right and the goat to his left, and uh, it's, it's a it's kind of scary. It's judgment day, basically. That's but but Jesus said like, whatsoever you do for the least of my brother, you done for me. Um, and then the spiritual work of mercy, and I think the spiritual work of mercy are the most difficult one. I think doing things for people is kind of easier, but the spiritual work of mercy, at least for me, are the most difficult. But at the same time, they are the most important one because they deal with when people deal with people's souls, taking care of their souls. In a time, people' greatest suffering is in their souls when they are not in a relationship with God. And the first one is to admonish the sinner. And this is an act of love. When you see somebody who's who's committing sin or somebody who's not living a life that is good, are we willing to admonish them? Yeah, to call them to call them to conversion. I'll be honest, my own brother, he lives in a civil union, and it is very difficult uh, to have that conversation with him. Like you need to get married in the church. And why is it difficult for me and having that conversation? Because he knows me too well, and he knows my own sin. And if I say something, it won't be too long if I keep pushing the issue where he's going to remind me of the ways that are not in favor to my prison, or to the way of the Franciscan way of life that I had chosen. So at time, because of that, because I'm afraid that my pride is going to be hurt, I choose to keep quiet and I don't say anything, and I just ignore it. And I know that the second work is to instruct the ignorance, uh, is to help people to learn the truth. And it's the same thing, at times we, we hear some of our friends and even family members that are living in error, believing things that are not true, and because we don't want to get into an argument, we do not say anything about it. Um, so that's, that's one of the corporate, the spiritual work of mercy. And this, the third one is to comfort the sorrowful. And when we see somebody who is uh, who's sad, 
who's going through a difficult time, is to comfort them, to be willing to enter into that suffering and to say something, something kind, something compassionate that will help that person to continue, to continue their journey. At, at times, I think, um, at times we feel that we don't know what to say, especially if there are situations that we find families and friends and people at work that are going through a difficult situation and we don't know what to say. And at times, maybe we don't need to say anything. Maybe we just need to be present and to remind that person that I am here. If you need somebody to listen, I am willing to listen. Maybe I don't have the, I don't have the right words to tell you, but I'm here to listen. Um, I have a friend who was, he was a seminarian. He was a brother with me, but eventually he, he left and got married, and he has a beautiful daughter. But one day he called, and like he was telling me about what was going on in his marriage, and I think it was difficult. Like, like every marriage, there is difficult, difficult seasons throughout the marriage. And I remember that in my head, I was thinking, I must have to say something. Like, what am I going to tell him? And then I, I begin to talk, talk, talk. And then he said, listen, I didn't call you to tell me anything. I just called you to listen to me. <laughs> and then for the next hour, I was quiet. I was just listening. And at the end, he said, thank you. And that was it. I didn't have to say anything. I just needed to listen to him. And at times, that's all that people need from us, that we have a listening ear. Someone that is willing to put their phone away and to listen to this person, somebody that is not, is not going to keep looking at the watch, but helping that person to realize that at this moment, you are the most important person. And I want to be fully present to you. And nothing matters. This is, you are the, the one who matters at this point. And how beautiful is for us when we experience that from another person, when another person shows us that kindness, that compassion, that we are going through a very difficult thing, and this person is willing to say, I am here to listen to you. I am here to accompany you in this, in this, in this journey. Um, and the next one is to bear wrongs patiently. When people do wrongs to us, uh, to bear them patiently. And that's a very difficult thing to do. <coughs> like somebody's doing something to me that is, I know that is not right, but I'm called to bear that patiently to try to understand a person, to be there. And uh, at times it's difficult. And at times, during those moments, we had to, we had to pray a lot. And ask the Lord, give me patience at this moment. Give me patience just to, to be present to this person. And I don't, I don't mean by that, that if somebody's doing something, something, someone is pulling you that you're supposed to take it, and I just do like this, it's fine. I don't think that, I don't think that's what God wants from us. But at times we are like so righteous, I think. And when somebody does anything that we, displeases us, we think that I have to have, I have to go back at that person. And we don't give the person the opportunity to go back into their own life and realize, you know, and I, what I did was wrong. I overreacted in this situation. And to give the, the person the benefit of the doubt. And in marriage, like it's very difficult to bear wrong patiently. Uh, when our spouse is doing something that we don't like, we usually start telling them, telling the other, everything that is wrong with them. You know, you were not kind to me this morning, or oh, you were not kind to me yesterday. You know, and like we, and then rather than listening to this person and giving this person the opportunity to go back and to reflect, how did I behave? 
But that's required for us to live an examined life. That requires for us that we have moments of prayer where we are willing to question the way we behave and the way we act with others. In any relationship, I think it's necessary. It's necessary that we examine the way that we deal with other people and to be willing to be honest with ourselves. And if we begin to justify every action that I do that I'm always right, I think there is a problem. You know? I have a friend that is like, I like it. Like, whatever he does, he thinks it's right because he thought about it. <laughs> and in, <laughs> in his judgment, he came to the conclusion that this is the right way to act. So therefore, <laughs> all of us are supposed to bear with it because this is, this is what must be done. And like, we are like, well, like, maybe your intellect is a little bit talking, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so he doesn't like when we say that. And then we say, like, well, like, have you heard about concupiscence? You know, like the tendency to sin, that our intellect is a little talking. So uh, maybe, maybe it would be helpful if you rethink and you listen to what we have to say about the situation, too. And I think in marriage friendship, it is always good to listen to the other with an open heart and to be willing to, to ask for forgiveness if we have, if we come to the conclusion that I, that the way that I behave wasn't the right way. Um, and the next one is uh, to forgive all injuries. And this is related. Uh, when people hurt us, uh, to be willing to forgive them and to extend that compassion to them. And that mercy in the same way that Jesus always forgives us. Uh, forgiveness is difficult. Uh, but at times, forgiveness is an act of the will. I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive everything that this person has done to me. Uh, and at times, I do it because I want to be at peace. I don't want to hold grudges. Because at times, when we begin to hold grudges, our heart becomes very hard. It's harder than our hearts and we are not willing to forgive others. In a time, no forgiving the other person does more damage to us than it does to the other the person that did the injury to us. Um, there was, when, I was living, when I was living in Delaware, uh, Wilmington, Delaware, in seminary, I was going to seminary at that time, there was a time, I don't know if you remember, those, that uh, these men went into the Amish country, uh, into Amish school, and basically kill uh, some students. And, um, and then I think he killed himself after. He committed suicide after he did it. And one of the most beautiful message for the Amish community at that point was that before they buried their children, they went uh, to visit the wife of the man that had killed their children and to offer forgiveness. And that was like, powerful. And why did they did it? Uh, because they're a Christian, and they take the, uh, the scripture seriously, and they felt that before they bury their children, they needed to bury their hatred, mm. and they needed to extend that mercy uh, to this family, uh, to the wife of this man who had committed this horrendous crime. And I think it taught all of us, because usually when someone when someone does something wrong to us, uh, we want revenge. You know, we want to get even. But then, if we look at Jesus on the cross, what did he say to those people who had crucified him? Forgive them because they do not know what they have done to me. 
And Jesus was willing to do that. And I know that we would say, like, oh, he was God and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, we know that Jesus is feeling his suffering in his humanity as a human person. He was on the cross. And he was willing to forgive those who have crucified him, who have who put a crown on him, who beat him, who spat on him, all that kind of stuff. And he was willing to say, I forgive them. Forgive them because they don't know what they have done. And it is at times we do it, it is not through our own power. It is never done through our own power when we forgive another person. We do, we do it through the, the graces that God pours out on us. In a time where we are not able to forgive, or we are struggling to forgive, and that is the time that we have to ask the Lord, and give me the grace to do this. Give me the grace to forgive this person so that my heart, my heart could be healed because I want to be at peace. And um, the last one is the spiritual work of mercy is to pray uh, for the dead. Um, it has been a constant tradition of the church that we pray for those who are dying. And I know that at times, usually now, my experience of funeral is that when you go to funeral, everybody's in heaven. And everybody has, everybody is in heaven and that's what the homily is all about. And that's what all of us want to speak about. But I often ask people, if you die today, do you think you're ready to see God face to face? And most people, their answer is like, not really. <laughs> I might need some help. And that's why I think the greatest gift that we could do uh, for, for those who are dying is to pray for them. And to know that even if it might be that this person was a saintly person and that they were ready to see God face to face right away, but those prayers will be in vain in the church. Those prayers will go in the treasury of the church. And those prayers could be offered to someone that has no one to pray for them. And I think that's a very gift. I think there's a story about the Saint St. Augustine when his mother Monica was about to die, uh, and they were they were on their way back to Africa, um, one of her son uh, was very sad because she got she got very sick all of a sudden on their journey, and they didn't think that she was going to make it. And he he was asking her like, just please uh, just hold hold on for a little bit because we want to bury you um, in our homeland. And Monica just turned to him and said, "Don't worry about my body." The only thing that I ask you is to pray for me at the altar. And that was the only request uh, that you remember me at Mass. It has been a beautiful tradition in the church that we offer Mass for the dead. And it's a tradition that it seems to me that the only people who, who do it still are our grandparents. And even my parents, like, it, it is not something that they do anymore. But it was something that we, the church, you always use to encourage that. And that we go and ask, request a Mass uh, to be, to be, to be said, to be prayed for this, for the for the soul of the dead, and that's why every year we have a, a, a day where we pray for the dead, uh, November the second. Every year, uh, the entire church pray for the dead, and the church sees it so as such a, a need to pray for the dead that that's one of the few days that the priest is allowed to celebrate multiple masses because the church see the need and that the dead, those who are in purgatory, need our help, and this is the most beautiful sign about love that we could give to them is to pray for them. Um, in this, in the spiritual work of mercy, they have, they are a bunch of, they are not like, the corporate work of mercy is easy to find them in scripture. They are, all of them are just, Matthew 25, you find them, all of them right there. Jesus lists them for us. 
Uh, but the spiritual work of mercy, uh, they are throughout the whole in the New Testament in the church. I basically went <coughs> into them now and said these are the scriptural foundations uh, for this work. So they are not, it was not something that the church one day just chose to, to, to think, okay, let us talk about this. But he went back to scripture and to tradi in tradition in order to, to give it to us, to give us a scripture and tradition background to them. Uh, but the, the challenge for us, and, and I think this is the most important part, the most important part for us is like, how do we live them out? How do we, how do we live out the work of mercy from day to day? I think at times we think that it is about doing great things, yeah, that I have to do something great for people. Yeah, but I think it's not about great things. It's about doing simple acts of love every day. Yeah, it is not about going out to seek the person but it's uh, to, to be the person that God puts in front of us that day. Uh, this is the person that needs to be fed. This is the person that is thirsty. Uh, this is the person that is in prison. Or this is the mother of someone who's in prison that needs to be consoled. You know, this is the person that died in my, in, in my friend's family. So I'm going to say a prayer for them. You know, there is one of my co-workers, there is a funeral in the family. I am going to make it a point to show up even to the wake and just to be there to be present and to be present to them. So I think it is about doing a small thing with great love. As Mother Teresa would say, it is about it is about doing a small a small thing with an extraordinary extraordinary love. And that's what we put into it, you know. Anybody could go and feed the homeless. Anybody could give a bottle of water to a, to a person, but I give it to you this way. Here and they just walk away. But rather than meeting the person and looking at their eyes, you know. Anybody could could tell someone the way that you live in your life is wrong. You are in sin or you're in error. But it takes a loving person to be able to to enter into this this person's suffering and to be there with your whole heart, without holding nothing back from, from that person and to do it in a loving way. In the way that Jesus would do it for us the way that he does it for us every day. When we meet him, especially in the sacrament of confession, hopefully you find a great compassionate priest, uh, somebody who's, who's, who's merciful, and who realize that my job is here to help this person experience the mercy of God. And I think that's what we are called to do. There was a, there's a quote about St. Augustine that he said, I fear the Lord passing by and I, and I do not notice him. I fear that the Lord may pass before me in one of these little people in need, and I do not realize that it is Jesus. I fear that the Lord may pass by without me recognizing him. That was his fear, as a bishop, as a priest, and as a Christian. His fear was that Jesus would pass by and he wouldn't see him. And I think that is the danger for all of us. It's my fear. Even doing this ministry to homeless, how do I do it? And do I do it for the right reasons? Am I able to recognize this person that told me yesterday that my foot was, I won't use the word, but that, that word given then was this. <laughs> when I see them tomorrow, am I going to be kind to them? Or am I going to pass by? You know, I was talking with a, a gentleman that also did this kind of work. And he, he was telling me, I met him yesterday, I put him in this one yesterday, and he was telling me that uh, 
one one they went to a place to bring food to this homeless guy and he just took the food and just threw it at him. And like he said the human reaction was to be very angry and to go home in anger. And he said, I was angry. <laughs> but then when you pray about it, he knew that the next day he needed to go and seek this person out. And treat this person like nothing happened. And eventually this person became a friend because he kept showing up. You know? In the city there is a, a man in a memorial highway, memorial, memorial drive. Um, and he, when we first started doing this work, we used to go there, uh, there and he would never even look at us. He would never take anything from us. Like, no, 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 no. But eventually, like, we kept showing up at the place for all the people that were there, and eventually he began to trust us. And he realized that, okay, they're going to show up most of the time, so I could trust them. And it just takes time to do it. But at, at times, that's the fear that I don't notice Jesus. And, and I think, it is not only about the homeless. There are homeless people in our own family. People that don't feel welcome. Oh, in our job, in our offices. How many people don't feel like they are part of the team? Or that they are excluded? And we have to, to, to keep in mind that the enemies want to divide. That's his main ta tactic. He always wants to divide people. He wants to divide spouses, he wants to divide family, he wants to divide friendship. Because when he divides, he isolates us. And when we are isolated, He's the only one that could speak to us. But if we stick together with our virtues and faults, if we come to, to accept each other and to help each other in the way to sainthood, then the enemy wouldn't have power over us. And I think that's, uh, that's what uh, is the, the challenge for us, is to be able to recognize Jesus in the other person, to recognize that every human being that we come in contact with was created in God's image and likeness. And that Jesus identified himself with that person in front of us. And for us as a church, you know, what is the task of the church? And what is our task as a disciple of Jesus? Pope Francis, as I said before, continuously reminds us that he wants the church to be, to be merciful. A church that reaches out to the peripheries of society. That is the church that he wants. John, John the 23rd, at the opening of the Second Vatican Council, before we opened the council, he said he said that he wanted a church that was poor, and a church that was for the poor, a church that was willing to use all her resources to take care of those in need. And I think the church does a beautiful job taking care of the poor, uh, taking care of those who are in need. I think we don't do thanks to God, we don't do a lot of advertisement of what we do because it's about spreading the gospel. We just do what we do, but we don't need to be in social media about everything that we do. And I think throughout the world, the church is the one that is always present uh, to help people and to, to be there. And the church is not this, I, I think when we think about church, we think about this big institution that is in Rome, the Vatican, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but that is the institutional church. Uh, but the mystical part of Christ is all of us. So wherever we are, uh, whatever, uh, in Latin America, when we think about the church, we think about God's people, the pueblo de Dios. That's the church for us. 
which means all of us are the church. So at times, you who are the laity who are in the world, you all have access to places that the priest will never get to go to in your offices. Most likely, I will never be at a corporal building. And if I go, go there, it's for a meeting with a person, and they help it out. But you are the one who are present there in your place of work. And you are the one that has to make Christ present right there, wherever you are. And that's why our faith, we have to live it out. It has to be, as, as John Paul II said at the beginning, that we needed to be coherent, coherent with our faith. So our life must give witness to it. During the season of, of Easter, if you look at the Acts of the Apostles, and throughout this Sunday, as we, as we weekdays, as we read uh, from the Acts of the Apostles, what was the main task of, of the disciples? Was to be witnesses to the thing that they had seen and heard. And that's our, that's our call. Wherever we are, just to be a witness. And at times, it is not about, it is not about speaking about Jesus, but it's about being Jesus to others. When people see us, they could say that, like, yeah, this person is different. Yeah, there is something different about this person. And the difference is that we follow the Lord and that we are allowing His grace yeah, to become a part of us. And um, Pope Emeritus Benedict paraphrases St. Teresa of Avila saying this We are the eyes with which Jesus looks at the one who is suffering. We are the hands that he reaches out to bless and to heal. We are the feet he uses to walk with and to do good. We are the lips that proclaim his gospel. So that's who we are. As St. Teresa will say, Jesus, St. Teresa will say, Jesus doesn't have feet, he doesn't have hands, he doesn't have lips, but you are his hands, his feet, his lips. So that's our call. And if we allow the work of mercy to become part of our daily life, if we don't have to go out seeking to do that, I think, if we choose as a, as a way of life, I, I am going to be merciful. I am going to be compassionate to all people. Or maybe the most common would be, I am going to be kind to all people. Then everything will be fine. They will be living out who we are called to be. And Jesus, one of the Eucharistic prayer, one of my favorite one, is Eucharistic prayer for for special occasions. And the title of it is, Jesus spent his life doing good. That's all he did, from the beginning to the end. He just did good to all those he met. So let us pray, and God gives us that grace. So for your reflection, uh, to us and to share in the small group, I think that's important. Uh, these are the two questions. Do I practice the works of mercy throughout my day? Do I practice them throughout my day? And then uh, the second question is very similar, but it's a challenge. What is God asking of me in regard to the corporal and spiritual work of mercy? What is God asking me to do with them? So those are the two questions. May you repeat the first question? The first question is, do I practice the works of mercy throughout my day? Do I practice them every day? Our second question that we will discuss with our tables is what is God asking of you in regard to the corporal and spiritual works of mercy? I'll repeat it. 
What is God asking of you in regard to the corporal and spiritual works of mercy?